I mean, is it like cliche to play salsa music on Cinco de Mayo? I mean, I'm trying not to be cliche, but I want to have fun all at the same time. So you tell me, is it cliche? We're just having fun here in Datitude. We're going to talk Saints. We're going to talk Kentucky Derby with Jeff Duncan, our resident expert coming up. He's expert on a lot of things, but especially number one is probably Saints. Number two is probably horse racing. He's going to talk about all those things. I'm going to touch on the NBA playoffs just briefly in my monologue. I'm going to tell you what I think of the draft. It's going to be a fun day. It's Cinco de Mayo. Have yourself a margarita and sit back and listen. Coming up next. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends elsewhere who are searching for the salt and searching for the lime. This is Datitude, episode number 149 for a Friday, you guessed it, May the 5th, 2023. And I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times, speaking the advocate at bet.nola.com. Um, what's better, to have a show on, like we had yesterday on Bayou Bets on May the 4th? This, this whole May the 4th be with you. I was never a Star Wars kind of guy. Blasphemy, I know some of you say. I've never been a Star Wars kind of guy. Um, I've only seen the first three, and when I say the first three, the ones that came out in 1977, 1979, and 81, or whatever the hell they were, uh, the original Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I'm not even sure that's the right order. That's how... I'm not a Star Warsian kind of guy. Now I do like um, the Mandalorian on Disney. That one I haven't watched it in a little while, so I'm a little behind. But I do enjoy that. But uh, I, I never understood the allure. And I know I'm getting so many blasphemies out there. I know I'm, people are calling me all kinds of names right now as they listen on their phones and iPads and in their car, whatever. Wherever you're listening, I'm not trying to offend you. I mean, I've. I, probably offended people already this morning, the first three minutes of the show. But I, I just never got into it. I never understood. I never understood Star Trek. I was, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a Trekkie. I don't get all that stuff. I never watched. I mean, if, if they had a spaceship in the show back when I was a kid in the seventies and early eighties, and you know, I was a teenager after that. But if, if they have a, if they had a, a, a spaceship in the show, I might have watched it, but it was like, eh, whatever. Nothing else is on. And for those of you, you know, and I know your parents say, get off my lawn. You know, I know your parents tell you or whatever. Yes, we actually had to watch shows when they came on TV. There was no such thing as DVRs, VCRs, or whatever. I didn't get a VCR until I think it was, I don't know, I think I was a senior in high school when we finally got a VCR. Um, just, we had to watch shows when they came on. I get it. We had what, five channels? 
I mean, if you and we watched like the same shows, or you watched like I think I saw every Brady Bunch. Um, I don't know six times, maybe more. So Bewitched, you watched that show every time it came on, and so uh, you know, I didn't get to see the other shows multiple times like I did those back in the day. But yeah, I I digress here early on this Friday morning as you came to listen about the Saints and maybe the Kentucky Derby and my take on whatever. Look, uh, we're certainly going to get into the Saints this morning. Jeff Duncan is coming on, like I said, in the in the intro. And uh, we spend about, I thought it was going to be a 30 to 40-minute segment. It ended up being an hour again. I don't think Jeff Duncan and I are capable of talking unless there were an actual timer and the thing says it's going to cut off at a certain time. I don't know that we're capable of talking for 30 to 40 minutes. Every time we, and I went on and I specifically said, he didn't, sometimes he'll say, look, I got something going on. Um, we need to get off early. And then we still don't. But like this time, I didn't want to take up a bunch of his time because I thought, you know, we'll talk Saints draft for 20, 25 minutes. And then we'll talk Derby for five, maybe 10 minutes and then move on. No, it was an hour show again. I, we can't talk for less than an hour, but it's worth it. It's especially the stuff about the Derby. And as I tell Jeff Duncan, and I'll tell you now, I mean, I'm, I've never been that big of a horse racing aficionado. I like horse racing. Um, I enjoy it. I just don't understand it all that much. Um, I understand how to bet what, what an exact is, the daily double, trifecta, you know, all these things that, you know, how you win money. I understand that, you know, the odds that you get when you first make the bet, it doesn't make a difference because it's whatever the odds are uh, when the horse race starts. Like, literally, they go out of the gate, and that's when it freezes. Which, by the way, has always been kind of weird to me. Why? Why is that? Anyway, whole another story. Uh, but there are a lot of things we talk about, not just his picks on the Derby, but, you know, Jeff Duncan, if you don't know this, is from Louisville, Kentucky. So he was born and raised with this. Like, we, you know, most of you listening from the New Orleans area, not all of you are from the New Orleans area. I get that, and I thank you for listening. But, um, you know, like we grew up with Jazz Fest and Mardi Gras. Well, he grew up with the Kentucky Derby. So, you know, I asked him questions about what, what it was like, and uh, it's pretty much what you would think. I mean, if you think back to, to your days of being in your 20s and going to Jazz Fest and the things you did at Jazz Fest, well, they probably did that at the Kentucky Derby. So it's not just a horse race for sure. It's not just the, the two minutes or however long it is. It's, I think it's less than two minutes, right? What is it, like a minute and 40-something seconds usually? I don't know what the record is. I don't I don't even – I told you. I don't, I'm not all that uh, into it. Don't understand it all that much. As you heard my phone go off, they can wait. Um, but it's fun, and I always thought the Derby was fun, um, and I certainly will be watching tomorrow. And now with this new Caesars race, race book app, that you can download on your phone. Who knows? Maybe I'll place a wager from my phone. Um, wifey's out of town this weekend, so just me and the kids. And it's not like I'm going to haul the kids off to off-track betting. Not that big of a degenerate. So if I want to bet, I guess I got to do it from my phone. Um, and so Dunk will have his picks on that. Uh, and again, we're going to spend most of the morning here talking about the Saints draft. So before I get to that, um, you know, I, th- I think that. I, I've been comparing the past few days. We're in the playoff season of the, you know, winter sports, 
the major winter sports, basketball and hockey. And I've tried multiple times to get into hockey. And sometimes I get into it for a few weeks or whatever. But for some reason, this particular hockey season, at least the last week to week and a half, I've really gotten into it. And I think it started with the fact that the Boston Bruins, who were the best team in NBA history in the regular season, um, lost to an eight seed. And the Florida Panthers, who are now 2-0 in the, in the second-round series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you don't, if you've never really watched hockey before or if you're just kind of casually watching it, this is the year to watch it. I, it. It is so intriguing to me. Unlike, I think, the NBA play. This, is, this might be the most boring. And look, I, I, I know I've been biased against the NBA times because sometimes the things that happen in games, let's take last night's Lakers-Warriors game. I didn't watch game one at all. I'm not interested in what the NBA wants me to watch. They were going to make Lakers Warriors happen. And I'm pissed at myself. I guess part of it is I'm mad at myself because I didn't go bet the Warriors and Lakers to win series. In fact, the opposite on the Lakers, I really thought the Grizz, I, I don't think the Lakers are that great. I know that they've been playing well the last month and a half, but I have a, I had a hard time believing that they were going to beat the Grizzlies. And now I'm pissed at myself because I didn't see the whole grand picture of the NBA, they, they were, look, the Warriors and Lakers were going to make this series together. Didn't matter how they had to ha- happen. I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. I'm not going out there. I'm just saying that w- would anybody have been surprised? You Well, let's just put it this way. I think most people would have been surprised. And they were both the lower seeds. I think most people would have been surprised had the Warriors and Lakers not made it to play each other. Do we think that's a coincidence? They're just the best teams, Jim Derry. Maybe they are. Maybe they are the best teams. The West is uh, certainly not as good as it's been. Um, you know, it's funny how one or two games can change the mentality of people who, who bet. My 25-year-old son, who I love to uh, – oh, he's not quite 25. He'll be 25 in a couple weeks. But uh, he loves to impart his sports knowledge, which is all-knowing. He knows more than anyone could ever possibly know about sports. Is all of a sudden telling me, because of last night's game, no one is going to beat these Golden State Warriors. Not these Lakers. It's By the way, the series is 1-1, and both games are played in San Francisco. But there's no way the Lakers are going to beat them. They're gonna, and the Warriors are going to steamroll the Denver Nuggets. And then they beat Boston last year, so they're going to beat them again. No problems. It's a done deal. If you want the advice of a soon-to-be 25-year-old know-it-all, then go put your money down on the Golden State Warriors. I'm just doing you a favor. I, I'm, I am giving you free money because he's all-knowing, and that's what he says is going to happen. You know what, though? Sometimes the NBA gets what it wants. No, not sometimes. A lot of times the NBA gets what it wants. It's just, it's not compelling drama to me anymore. I want to see the Nuggets and the Heat make the NBA Finals. Screw the ratings. Show me good basketball. That's what I want to see. I think Jamal Murray is one of the most dynamic basketball players in the NBA right now. I know he had a, a crappy last game, 
But he, to me, that's who I want to watch. I want to watch Jamal Murray. I want to watch uh, Caldwell Pope. I want to watch the Joker and do his thing. I think the Nuggets are fun to watch. I know I'm in the minority. And people want to see Steph and they want to see LeBron and Bob. I, I hate that crap. I really do. Probably mostly because most of the announcers are just blowing so much smoke up their asses. It's just, it's, it's almost, I, I have to turn the volume down. I'm not going to mention any names because the, the person who blows the most smoke up LeBron's ass and Steph's ass, I think is a fantastic announcer in general. But when he does their, again, I don't want to say a, a name because I like this announcer. But it, when it comes to those guys, he's got a bias. And, and it's just hard to listen. Sometimes i got to turn the sound down. So that long-winded rant was basically my way of saying, I think hockey's better this year, at least the playoffs. Um, playoffs. Uh, it's, it's just better. So we'll see how it ends. I still think Denver and Boston. I know it's chalky. Uh, I know it's easy to say. And Boston's like, you can't even bet on them to win it all right now because they're like plus 180. You can't bet a team that's plus 180 in the second round of the playoffs. You just can't. So if you want some kind of value, I still think there's value in Denver if you want to bet. But is it going to happen? I think they're going to end up playing Golden State. It's going to be one of these drawn-out series that probably should go five games but go six or seven instead. I mean, did you watch last night? Seriously. And, again, I get so ticked off at myself because obvious spots – that the NBA is going to step in. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying one team is going to get the benefit of calls. I'm not saying they're going out of their way to make calls. I'm just saying if you watch that game, and I don't know how many times in the course of a 15-minute monologue I'm going to say, I'm just saying, but I am just saying, it is what it is. You can call it whatever you want. But if you watch that game last night throughout the course of a crucial stretch in the second quarter late in the second quarter when it was a tight game a tight game changed in a hurry and then early in the third quarter there were some really weird calls and just i'll leave it at that weird calls there was no way golden state wasn't winning that game last night there was no way the lakers were going up 2-0 on the road at san francisco and i'm really pissed at myself that i didn't think logically before that game last night Otherwise, I'd have won money. But I didn't. I didn't bet, actually. I didn't bet on it. Um, but it is what it is. So let's move on from that. Uh, I want to go into the Saints now and talk about their grades. Look, I've said enough throughout the course of my time. on. I've had two shows now on Bayou Bets. If you haven't watched any of those shows, basically my thought process is the same now. What I think of the draft is the same as kind of I thought going in. I didn't really like the first-round pick, um, Brian Bassey, not because of the player, because I thought the Saints needed offense early in this draft. So with that being said, I really didn't like the Isaiah Foskey pick. Um, again, Isaiah Foskey may turn out to be a great player for this team for a long time to come. I didn't like the pick. I thought the Saints needed offensive help whether they get an offensive lineman early in the draft or get a wide receiver early in the draft or both but again you have to defer to a jeff ireland who knows what the hell he's doing 
and one thing Dunk's going to talk about here early on is this team drafts to – they have a mold, okay? And there's a story that's written about it on NOLA.com. They have a mold that they stick to. This is the player that we're going to go get. This is what a Saints player drafted or brought in in free agency looks like. And they're going to stick to that formula no matter what. And it's been successful for them. You can say whatever you want about this team over the past, I don't know, 18, 16 to 18 years. But you can't say they haven't been successful. Now, they have moments. They have seasons where they're not successful. But overall, and I get that it's just one Super Bowl. But you cannot say this team hasn't overall been successful throughout the tenure of Mickey Loomis. You simply can't. And so that for that, I defer. And my draft grade in the grand scheme of things is like everybody else's draft grade. It doesn't mean a damn thing. But I give them a B. I liked what they did after round two. I really liked what they did after round two, actually. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the Kendra Miller pick was great. I know people wanted to see Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears doesn't fit the Saints mold. I love the Aldevary pick. I think a 6'6 guard in the fourth round, who obviously has plenty of skills and can be a starter on this team, is phenomenal. That's an, that's an A-plus kind of pick right there. There's no question in my mind that's an A-plus pick. Um, and going back to Foskey, if you're going to draft a defensive end there, I like that guy per se. Oh, you should have picked B.J. Ojolari. He doesn't fit into the Saints mold. It's nothing about LSU or Tulane players. It just doesn't work that way. Remember they passed on Patrick Queen however many years ago after the national championship game? What, three years ago? And Patrick Queen is clearly one of the better linebackers in this league for the Ravens. Should they have drafted Patrick Queen? I mean, he didn't fit their mold. So you can't... And, and, and the people that... By the way, the morons out there who continuously say the Saints are going to screw this up, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you're just being negative to be negative. Now, I had a bad feeling they are going to pick Foskey, and I didn't like it, so I was making comments there. But overall... You can't say the Saints are going to screw up a draft because they usually don't. I get there's a Peyton Turner every now and then. I get there's a Cesar Ruiz every now and then. But look at those drafts in a hole. Or at a hole, I should say. The Saints usually do pretty well. And we, we get into this as well. I think pretty much you could peg the Saints for a B. They're not going to have a lot of splashy names in there because usually they don't draft high enough to get a splashy name. They just don't. Sometimes they trade up to get someone that they want. Uh, they don't trade down often, but they're making moves. And look, the Saints, it's the same thing every year. And if you look at the players that are on this team, a lot of them were gotten from drafts and great picks. You look at players that have now departed, the Caden Ellis's of the world. Um, they're go- they they were picked at a great I think Caden Ellis was a sixth or seventh round draft pick. And now he's got Trey Henderson. I think Trey Henderson was what? A third or fourth round pick. And now he's the sack monster in the NFL. Playing for the Bengals now. Not playing for the Saints anymore. So the Saints know how to pick them. I mean, they really do. And if you go through a lot of players in the NFL, we had this thing on Twitter the other day. Taron Walk had a chart uh, before the draft. 
I think the Saints lead the league, or they're they're either they either lead the league or they're in the top three for sure of players drafted in the first three rounds who are not only still in the NFL but starters in the NFL. They might not be starters for the Saints, but they're starters in the NFL. And I I don't remember how many years. I think it was over the course of the last ten years, I believe. I think it's since 2013. So the Saints' first three round picks, first round, second round, third round, the Saints have as many or more starters than anyone else in the league from those rounds that they've picked across the NFL. Again, maybe playing for someone else, but it just goes to show they know how to draft them. So we'll see how these guys turn out. We talk about it all the time. I think draft picks, it's hard to say how good a draft pick is until, what, a few years after they're picked. I mean, we we still don't know whether Peyton Turner is going to turn. I mean, Peyton Turner could turn out to be a good football player. We don't know. I mean, I think the jury's still out. He's been hurt. We haven't seen him. He may be a good football player. We don't know. And that's kind of the point. We'll find out soon enough. And I tell you what else we're going to find out soon enough, like as in right now, what Jeff Duncan thinks, because it's time for him to come on. It was probably time 10, 12 minutes ago, but, uh, you know, I like to talk. And now I'm going to let him talk. How are you doing this morning, Jeff Duncan? I'm doing good, man. I enjoyed uh, Locals Thursday at Jazz Fest. And uh, today is, for, for a Louisville native, big weekend starting today with Kentucky Oaks. So I'm jacked. Yeah, well, I didn't make it at the Jazz Fest again. About the 20th straight year I'm missing from down. It's so hard to go down there and get there. Now, you live close, so it's not as it's not as bad for you. But, man, well, I mean, not super close, but close enough to where it's it's not a major pain in the keister for me you know to drive across and then this morning with all that weather we had man it's and with kids oh but may i mention well but let's put it hard. this way jd i mean locals thursday is probably the most hassle-free of any of the days so like yeah. multiply that uh you know on saturday and sunday when the big crowds come so yesterday was <clears throat> not bad at all Actually went with Fletcher Mackle, our, our colleague. Man, okay. Uh, How's his and, hair? Uh, well, Fletch lives. He lives near the track, so near the fairgrounds. So okay. it's easy to park at his house and walk over. So it, it reduces the hassle. Best hair in the business, Fletcher Mackle. Without, without, without question. All right, let's get to uh, some real things going on here and talk about the Saints. And um, you know, I, I have a feeling that we're gonna. Be fairly close on our overall grade, I think, but maybe not feel the same way, especially about the early rounds of the draft. I know the early rounds went not only the way that you predicted, but probably the way that had you been on the other side and maybe making picks, they, they probably but it would have been what you, what you chose. Obviously, um, I've been talking about how I thought this team needed more offense, uh, I would, and they got it later in the draft, but I wish they would have gone that way earlier. Overall, I give them a solid grade. I thought they did well, especially in the later rounds. But uh, just your overall opinion and, and overall uh, thought process of how this team did uh, last Thursday through Saturday. Well, I didn't think there were really very many surprises. I thought pretty much they went by the book. Uh, I think a lot of people had yeah. the Saints mocked to take Brian Brussy. Brussy. He um, He's the kind of guy that fills a, a, the one real – glaring need that they had was a uh, you know three technique interior defensive uh, tackle uh, they, the two tackles they signed in free agency Nathan Shepard and Jalen Saunders are both kind of run stopper guys 
they don't fit the actual uh, skill set that is needed in the interior to rush the passer. So you knew they were going to address that somewhere. And so it made sense when the value was there uh, to take the defensive tackle at that spot. That didn't surprise me at all. Uh, Foskey, the, the, the second-round pick, also in an area that you can certainly make a case for down the road, especially uh, with Cam Jordan being, I think he's 34 now. Uh, you know, they lost Marcus Davenport. So, you know, it was kind of a textbook Jeff Ireland draft. I mean, we yeah, talked was. Four prototypes. I mean, they do – I don't know how many times I have to say this, Jim, to people so they get it straight, but they're not going to veer in those early rounds off their prototypes. They're just not going to do it. So people need to – when they do their mock drafts, they start thinking about it, it just eliminate – Guys that don't fit it early right. in the draft, they're not going to go there. It's, I mean, we've now got a track record here of, you know, almost 10 years where he's not veered off of that. So I think it's pretty safe to say uh, when you're down there looking at a running back like Kendra Miller, who they took from TCU, he fits exactly the size prototype they look for at running back. I mean, when I say exactly, I mean exactly his size. And so when everyone was targeting Ty J Spears to go there, He's smaller, doesn't weigh as much. It's not that they don't like Tajay Spears. It's that he doesn't fit their prototype, so he's, he drifts down their draft board further than other teams. And I, I, I just I see that pattern developing year after year, and yet I still see these kind of confusing mocks. We are going to take your comments and questions throughout this uh, half an hour or so show. We may go 40 minutes. We're not going to go as long as we normally go today. I can tell you that um, it won't be the hour long show. So if you want to get your comments or questions in, uh, do it as soon as you possibly can. You can do it on YouTube. You can do it on Facebook. If you're watching there on Twitter, you probably have to uh, tweet at me at Jim Derry Jr. And we'll, uh, we'll have to read them on the air, but Jerry's already with us this morning saying hello and, Jerry says he thinks the Saints did well, uh, got the needs, uh, got the needs that we needed. Um, I don't disagree with that per se, but I think you're spot on in what you said. And you know, last week we talked about it. Um, the Saints weren't going to go get a Hendon Hooker. I mean, over and over and over and over, and I keep hearing Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker, and then you talk about Tajay Spears. And while I think that would have been uh, a, a great pick. That wasn't what the Saints, the Saints went for a certain prototype. That's exactly what they did. The same thing with picking Isaiah Foskey and people were upset. They didn't go get BJ Ojolari and from LSU. It has nothing to do with the fact that they go to LSU or they go to Tulane. There's a certain player that fits a mold and the Saints go after these players year after year after year. It shouldn't be a surprise by now. I don't think any of us should be surprised. So as far as the players that they picked, um, I have no problem with the players they picked. And like you said, if they don't fit that mold, they're not going to take them, especially early. Maybe later on in a draft they may, but not in the first you know, half of the draft. Yeah, and I would say this. I mean, this was not a great draft in general, like for the entire league. It's, it's not a great draft. And I felt like the Saints draft reflected that. I, I don't think any of these players, you know, you never know how they develop, but just in general looking at the class, I don't think this is going to be a class of superstar. I think it's a bunch of role players, guys that will be a part of this team for, uh, you know, the next five, six years. You know, they'll be a part of the core. Uh, but I don't see, uh, you know, all pro type players on this on this class. And that's fine because that's the way some drafts are. 
you just need to get quality, you know, productive players and fill some certain roles on your team. And I feel like this class is one of those classes uh, where you're going to do that because they've already kind of got the star power in their other positions. These were more, hey, we need an aspect. We need an interior pass rushing uh, threat. That's what Brian Brazee brings to the team, you know. So th- they were looking for, I think, traits as much as anything else with this uh, with this draft class. Uh, Nick Salaberry, the, the interior offensive lineman, fills a, fills a need. They needed somebody, you know, as a developmental prospect down the road to um, potentially replace Andres Pete or Cesar Ruiz, neither of whom is guaranteed to be on the roster beyond next season. So a lot of these guys, I think, are projection picks to be a part of this team in 2024 going forward. I'm not sure how much impact any of them are going to have this year uh, beyond maybe their first pick. I'm a huge fan of the Saldivari pick. Um, You know, you talk about what the Saints have at guard right now. Andrus Pete, um, for all the Saints fans' uh, negativity towards him, and including this, this show's host throughout the years, Andrus Pete has filled what he was supposed to do when he came in here in the first round and has played like a first rounder for the most part. His problem is he can't stay on the field all the time. So you can't expect him to be on the field all year. When he plays, he plays just fine. In fact, I think he plays very well. Um, so I think Sal DeVere being able to come in here and being a solid backup from the start, which I think is what he's going to be. But you look at his size, his size is very similar to what Andrew Pete's size is. Yeah, I mean, again, he fits the prototype. I mean, really, he's he's carbon copy of what they look for in those those kind of offensive linemen. He's a smart guy, tough guy. He fits the mode. You know, I'm talking to, to Jeff Ireland later today. We'll have a just a little a little tease for people out there. We're going to have a Q&A with Jeff Ireland on this draft class for this weekend on NOLA.com and in the Times-Picayune where we'll get him to break down what exactly he looked for in each of these prospects. He's always very informative. Obviously, he's the guy running the draft. Uh, yeah. But you can see that uh, Salaberry fits not only the mode they look for, but also I think uh, you know fills a need because uh, what I said earlier contractually, uh, you know they didn't pick up Cesar Ruiz's uh, fifth-year option yeah, on his contract, gone. so he's kind of playing for his future this year. The Saints like to do that. Mickey Loomis sometimes likes to dangle the carrot. You know we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna re-up you, but you, if you prove it this year. We'll we'll give you a long term deal. They did that with Marcus Davenport, and of course he didn't he didn't uh, deliver, so he's gone elsewhere. But they they from year to year they'll they'll do that. I think is incentive. I think we're getting close to the point where and I look. We talked about this before. Cesar Ruiz was one of those picks where I think uh, the Saints and I like to use this term because I think it fits perfectly. But they kind of got snaked. I think they had someone else in mind when they were supposed to pick there. They couldn't trade down. They were kind of stuck. You're on the clock. You got eight minutes to make a decision and Cesar Ruiz was the best player on their board at that, that spot. And they just kind of were stuck taking him and um, he's been serviceable. He's been entered, you know, he's helped when, uh, you know, McCoy's been injured. He can move to center uh, and it, it helps to have uh, some flexibility there, but I'm not sure that Cesar Ruiz is going to be on this team beyond the season. We'll see. Uh, but I think Saldaveri is, that was one of my favorite picks there. Um, it, it really was. I thought they did an excellent job being able to move up, and, and that's what they did, by the way. They moved up to get Saldaveri again because it's hard to find a 6'6 guard who kind of fits your mold and 
and can jump right in and I think can play right away. Um, I, I do want to talk about Brisset in a minute, but and and really Foskey for that matter. But I want to talk a little bit about Jake Hayner and Ken, and Kendra Miller. And to me, Miller is a guy who can step in right away and will have to, um, Jeff, because we don't know how what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara. He's getting to that age of running backs to where it's kind of weird. You don't know even you know if he's out six or eight games and comes back how effective is he going to be how long, how much longer is he going to be able to play at the Alvin Kamara kind of level um i'm interested to get your thoughts on Kendra Miller because he his size is almost exactly the same and if you look at him i mean that's this is almost exactly where the saints got Alvin Kamara you know what 6 years ago now well i can tell you this uh, just you know making some calls during the week this week and talking to people around the organization in the organization that's the guy they're high on. I mean, they're very high on Kendra Miller. They, they really believe they've got a big steal in him. It's a guy that I don't think a lot of people know a lot about. Right. He came from a small high school in East Texas, right near the Louisiana border. I think his high school had 200 students total. So he was playing at a lower level, got overlooked as a recruit, and then you know got to TCU and was behind a couple of good backs and really just had a huge breakout year. And then, you know, uh, declared for the NFL draft. So he's he's kind of an underutilized guy. He doesn't have a lot of tread on the tire. I think they like that. And uh, like we said, he's versatile. He blocks well. That's another big thing with the Saints. You know, you're going to have your back on the field. He's got to be able to pass protect. So that was something that I think they valued. And you're right. I mean, he's going to have a role early for sure with Jamal Williams, but there's no pressure on him right now because they've got Williams uh, to kind of be carry the load if Alvin Kamara's a sideline for any length, lengthy period of time. So it made all the perfect sense in the world. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about him, but the yeah. more I've heard, the more I've researched him, the more I, I like the pick. I don't think hardly any of us really did. I mean, I don't, and that wasn't really uh, of the running backs that we had on our board. And I was looking at what we had on our, you know, pre-draft board and potentials at running back. He wasn't on my top seven. But the more I look into him, the more he is he could be a lot like Alvin Kamara, and he certainly is that size. I don't know if he quite has the speed, but, I mean, we'll, we'll find out. I, I'm not sure that Alvin Kamara is as fast as everyone is. He has yeah, shifty, Alvin Kamara yeah. is not that fast. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He's never been like a speed back. You know, that, that's something I think misleading. What, 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 I 100% very agree. similar is they both have very good balance and vision, and I think that's, that's what you need in a runner. Johnny chat. We're going to get to the NFC South in just a minute, Johnny, but we'll go ahead and say this. I mean, Johnny says the Panthers got Jonathan Mingo, best wide receiver in the draft. Ole Miss product. Um, I think that Jonathan Mingo was also a part of a Lane Kiffin system that benefited him very well. Let's just say, so we'll see how he translates um, going in, uh, going further. So uh, I don't necessarily, I think he's a good wide receiver. But the, that being said, I think the Panthers are going to be a force to be reckoned with here. Again, I want to go back to some of the things that the Saints did. But while we're talking about it, Dunk, I thought the Panthers and Falcons both had outstanding drafts, and especially the Panthers. I think they can be forces right away. And when you we talk odds, because sometimes we do talk odds on this show. I'm the sports betting writer for the Times Picayune. And you look at the Panthers being at like plus 280, I think, to win the division. That could be the value. Saints fans might not want to hear this, but I think they could be the value in steel because I think they have an excellent chance to get in there, dunk, and win this division. They're going to be up there right up there with the Saints. Yeah, I think, I think Bryce Young is one of the few 
young quarterbacks that can step into the league and have a very quick, almost seamless transition. There's very few guys I would say that about, but coming out of that Alabama system, he's played at a very high level for a long time. He's been in the biggest games there is. I mean, he is a unique prospect, and all you hear about him is his ability to, you know, read, diagnose, uh, you know, be a field general on the field. I mean, he he definitely raises them to another level. They haven't had a quarterback since Cam Newton. Agreed. You know, agreed. This is finally, I think they filled that void, and that's why they made the trade they did. So I agree with you. Now, the, where they're lacking, and I'm sure they know this in their roster building, is they had to, you know, trade away DJ Moore. They, they're lacking some of the the perimeter talent that, that you need in this league to go far, but all the building blocks now are in place. That defense is loaded with, like, first-round draft. Absolutely. Yeah, they're good. I mean, we've seen that here in New Orleans when they played Carolina. They Saints have struggled to move the ball against Carolina, and they fixed, I think, a lot of their problems on the offensive line. Now, I think the next year or two, you'll see them start to get a receiver here. Now, get a tight, you know, I like their tight end, actually, but get another running back to replace McCaffrey. That'll be a part of this process, but I agree. I, I think Atlanta did well. Bijan Robinson, you add him into the mix. With, Absolutely. With those skill position players, I mean, I really believe it's kind of a three-team race. I think Tampa might be the fourth team in this division, and uh, I think the Saints, if you looked at it, say, once they signed Derek Carr, everybody said well, they're clearly head and shoulders above everyone else. I don't think that gap is nearly as wide as it was maybe a couple months ago. I couldn't agree more, and uh, I think Tampa Bay is going to be terrible. Uh, I really do. If they, if they prove me wrong, then prove me wrong. But I think that uh, – I think – I mean, I just don't think they're very well coached anyway. So, I mean, they should have run away with this division last year, and they didn't. I mean, the Saints don't make some big mistakes in that game at Tampa on a Monday night. I think that division's completely different. I think the Saints win the division if they don't make the big mistakes that they made there. Um, I think they play the end of the season completely different, obviously, if they win that game. Um, and they were that close to, to beating Tampa Bay last year and honestly had no business beating Tampa Bay last year. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but I, I still think the saints are the class of the division right now. Um, and they're, I think plus plus one twenty, which means they're basically almost even money to win the division. Uh, that's where they are right now. Um, I, I want to go back to Brisset, uh dunk. And I, I think it's an interesting pick. Again, this is a pick that I, I'm, I wasn't necessarily fond of at the time and really still not. I get that. That's, where people thought that's their biggest need, and maybe it is their biggest need uh, going into the draft. However, I still think defensive tackle is just easier to get, easier to fill in. Um, but that being said, you get a chance to get a 6'5", 305 guy that was the number one recruit in the nation coming out of high school. If this dude stays healthy, uh, which he hasn't been able to in college, by the way, but if he can stay healthy, you know, you t- you say there's no potential all-pro. I think that this is a potential all-pro kind of pick. Again, if he can stay healthy, he could be a force in the middle. Yeah, he's 6'5", 305. He fits the prototype. Uh, big, you know, like you said, he was a massive recruit, you know, one of these can't-miss kind of guys that came in there and then lived up to the expectations, which a lot of times guys don't. There's there's a little bit of a, a pressure that comes with those uh, top recruits, and he lived up to that. So I think that speaks a lot for him. I also think the Saints feel like th- th- they kind of got a little bit of a steal because of his injury history. Yeah, it might have dropped so. him down a little further 
so they might have gotten, uh, you know, a player that could have been maybe a top 10 pick on talent that uh, because of his, um, you know, kind of checkered last couple of years. And I'll be interested to talk to Jeff Ireland about his injury history, certainly the Saints, uh, you know, they, like every team, go over that with a fine-tooth comb. So I think they obviously felt good about it and aren't as worried about it as, say, maybe fans are who have had to suffer through with a lot of injury uh, bad luck the last few years. I got to say, as far as Isaiah Foskey goes, um, anyone who's watched me at all the past week or so, I know you're going to feel completely different about this, and it's okay. Um, That's why I like to have you on the show because – you obviously know more of the interior workings of the team. And again, Isaiah Foskey fits this mold, but I just thought at, at pick number two, uh, the second round pick for this team, I get you're going to need a defensive end, but I thought, I thought this was more served to be like the first round pick for the 2024 draft and not the second round pick in this year. I just thought they needed offensive help. I would have much rather seen him go get either a wider receiver or Darnell Washington was available. Maybe he doesn't, fit the Saints mold. I know Johnson is in the fold now. I just thought they needed offensive help there, and Isaiah Foskey could turn out to be a great player for the next six, eight, who knows, ten years. But I, I just I didn't understand that pick at all. Yeah, that, that's one of the ones I think they looked at and just said, this is the value on our board. Uh, you know, we're going to stick with it. I think, I think Dennis Allen even told us at the draft there was – it might have been the second pick – where they were maybe trying to trade down. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he said. And that would indicate that they had a number of players graded similarly to Foskey. They were fine taking him, but if they could trade down and get another player with similar value at another, either him or, or another position, then they could have picked up another asset. So it's, it, I agree with you. I think it was one of those ones that, like, maybe the board didn't fall the way they wanted. I, I right. thought they might go – offensive line there because there are a lot of graded players that I felt like uh, suited the Saints needs at that at that position but I also understand Foskey I mean they just believe in these big men I think I tweeted out during uh during the draft and after the draft I mean the last gosh the last three or four years the the first second third round picks I think about 60 70 percent of them have been either offensive or defensive linemen they believe there's not that many big men with athletic athleticism needed at the NFL level, and it, so it makes it a premium position, both offensive and defensive line to take. So you got to take them early, uh, for better or worse. That's the well, plot. Well, and Jim Derry here with Jeff Duncan on this Friday morning, as we are often. Uh, Dunk, this might be the last uh, time Dunk's on the show for a little while as we go into our summer mode uh, coming up here. We will still have live datitudes every Friday throughout the summer, except for the couple of weeks that I take vacation here and there. Um, as we start gearing up, it won't be long. I mean, it's only, we're only two months away from July, so it won't be long uh, before we start gearing up for the 2024 season, although we will uh, take some little breaks here and there. Um, look, I, I, I agree with what you just said, and maybe it is because they had someone else in mind there and it just didn't happen where things happen throughout a draft. Uh, one pick and Johnny chats asked, we talked about Kendra Miller already, but he asked about Jake Hayner. And I think to me, this might be the most interesting pick of this draft. Um, I talked early on about how you cannot waste. I don't waste. Isn't the right word. You cannot spend a top 40 pick on a guy like Kendon hooker. You don't have the luxury. This team has more needs there. And obviously they thought their needs were a defense. They had, they did 
as well as they did on defense as far as overall ranking last year, there was certainly uh, they did have issues rushing the passer. So we can understand why they would go in that direction. So you couldn't spend a early pick on a quarterback. But I think to get a guy like Jake Hayner in the fourth round, someone that Zach Ewing and I have been talking about for quite a while, man, does he fit into this this team? You know, if something happens to Derek Carr, not this year, because obviously Jameis Winston is in the fold and is going to be the backup quarterback. But I think Jake Hayner is the kind of guy that could sponge off of Derek Carr and not only be a great backup, but could end up being a starter for this team at some point long term. That I mean, he he wears number nine, and he looks like number nine. Well, yeah, that surprised me a little bit, just because he doesn't really fit their prototype. I mean, it really interested. Well, as far as size wise, he right. looks like number nine from before. Right, right. But there's only one number nine. You know, there's, that's there's only, right, right, exactly. Yeah, there's only one Drew Brees. I, I wouldn't put that on him, but I understand why he tries to play like him because of the same size. I'm interested to talk to Jeff about. I guess they felt comfortable taking him where they did because because of the size prototype. But I think what the Saints have learned here in the learn the hard way the last couple of years is what they really need at the quarterback position is a field general. I mean that's the way their offense runs. They put a lot on the plate of the quarterback at the line of scrimmage to ask them to get in and out of plays. Uh, it's been an issue the last couple of years. I think they feel much better about having Derek Carr now. That's something I keep hearing from their coaches is they're really excited about just his ability to avoid negative plays, you know, to, to right. avoid bad plays. So I, I think that Drew Brees, one of his great strengths among many was uh, his ability to, to get the Saints into the right play after reading the line of scrimmage in the defense. So I think this is the kind of guy that can operate that system. He's not going to blow you away with his, you know, physical traits or anything. He's obviously a very good athlete but he knows how to run an offense. And I think that's what the Saints really value at the quarterback position. So it, it surprised me a little bit that they took him as high as they did, but I know he's a kind of guy, and I know this, talking this, again, talking this week, they're very excited about him. I mean, the guys they talked about the most when I talked to Saints sources this week were Kendra Miller and Jay Kaner. I can tell you this from looking at what I saw. I don't know that there's a player of the seven players the Saints drafted more excited to be a New Orleans Saint than Jay Kaner. I can say that if because, you know, he's obviously looked up to Drew Brees his entire life. He's coming in. He played at Fresno. Derek Carr played at Fresno. And so he gets to come in here and just work with Derek Carr. I think he's just thrilled about that as well. Well, you know, here's the thing. Like, I again, I haven't talked to Jeff yet. I'm going to talk to him uh, later today. But someone told me in the building that talked to him, this week that he said he got seven of his top 75 guys on the board in this. Really? Game. So that's what I try to tell people. That's, all the that's time. amazing. The Saints, the Saints board is different from the rest of the league. Yeah. And, and, and it's not uncommon. I mean, other teams have different top hundred, but in the Saints mind, their, their seven draft picks were among their 75 top prospects in the whole draft. So that what, what works for them and their system and their prototypes might not be for everybody else, but for the Saints, they feel like they got seven really good players. And I think that all seven of these teams, I mean, obviously the top three are going to make the team. Saldivar is going to make the team. Hayner is going to probably be on the practice squad. But I think I think all seven of these guys are going to make this team. I don't think any of them are going to get cut. I mean, you talk about Jordan Howden could be a steal in the, in the fifth round 
as a safety. I mean, it's something this team does need, especially depth-wise. And A.T. Perry, I thought, was an excellent pick. I mean, with the size that he has, Duncan, at 6'3", and he has speed, and I think he could be, he could come in here. I mean, Marcus Colson was a seventh-round pick. I mean, this could be that same kind of thing almost, I think. Oh, yeah. Look, I think that guy, that guy, a lot of people have projected as a, like a third, fourth-round pick. So yeah. that felt like a steal for the Saints, and they certainly targeted him. Uh, you know, he's he's a little limited in some ways, but right. I can see why they went for a younger receiver. I mean, they need, you know, who knows what happens with Mike Thomas this year. He's basically on a one-year deal. Uh, so even if, say, he does have a breakout year, maybe he has a big rebound season, it's no guarantee he's going to come back here. I mean, he's, he can exactly cash right. in in free agency. So uh, it makes sense to try to get a guy with some size that, to add that to the receiving core because Rashid Shaheed and Chris Olave are clearly a part of the future core receiver, but both of those are undersized guys. Yeah, and barring free agents pickups or uh, something going on in the near future that's weird, I think we'll see in 2024 that wide receiver will be highly it will be high on their, on their 2024 draft board, I think, as we go into next year. All right, I'm going to steal a graphic from uh, our Bayou Bet Show because before we get your Kentucky Derby picks, I want to get our uh, Ask Your Grade. And we had, a, we had a poll this week on bet.nola.com grading the Saints draft. It was overwhelming, the Saints draft. Uh, it was a, the 70.2% of the 500 or so there were more than 500 people who responded, but of the 500 plus 70.2% gives it a B, which saying they filled the needs, but, and didn't reach, which is kind of what the, I mean, I think almost every year. And by the way, you know, I, I did a, a post earlier this week, Dunk, on the media experts or so quote unquote experts and outlets right. and who graded the draft. I think Mel Kuyper has given the saints a B minus like, Every year for like the six last six, years. you could just plug B in with this draft. They they never do anything that's like overwhelming. Like wow, they got this guy. Hardly ever can you say that. But at the same time, you hardly ever say, well, that draft sucked. I mean, so they're pretty much stuck in the B range. That's actually what I'd give them. I'd give them a B minus. I'm with Mel Kiper. I I hate agreeing with Mel Kiper because it's hard to believe someone actually has a job that that's all you do for you know 52 weeks out of the year. But, you know, I think it's, it's nothing splashy, but they filled their needs and probably did exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah, look, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think that's exactly where I would fall. B, I don't think they came into this draft thinking they were going to get an A draft. I don't right. think it was a great draft, like I said. I, I don't think feel like, the, you know. It wasn't the, like last was, year. Yeah, well, the top 15 or so in this draft were clearly separate from the rest of the draft. And no the doubt. Saints were going to be able to get into that group. So um, you take a guy like Brazil who has the potential to be there. And so you roll the dice on that and hopefully stays healthy. And then you feel like maybe you got a guy that could be the guy down the road. So I certainly, I think it filled the exact biggest need they had on the roster. And that was interior pass rush. I've written about this a bunch. Everyone looks at that number last year and says, oh, the Saints had 48 sacks. They're, they're pretty good at brushing the pass. They're really all their advanced analytics on pass rushing pressures and they're way down near the bottom of the league. And I think they knew that it it was played out with the first two picks this year. So uh, I I feel like this was more about a draft of filling some, some key roles that they felt like were missing on the roster after they got through free agency. And dunk, especially in the latter half of the season. 
I think their biggest problem is they were making the push and they were starting to play, play better. That Philadelphia game to me sticks out because if you just take that Philadelphia game, they proved that they can play with the best teams in the NFL. The problem was they couldn't find any consistency whatsoever, especially from the quarterback position. I'm not going to go rail on Andy Dalton again, but they just couldn't find any consistency there. And to me, Alvin Kamara was a step behind his, his normal self last year. I thought the offensive line didn't play well at all when they were together. They, they had injury woes throughout the season, but man, if you can shore up and start to get consistency, I think this team, especially with this schedule, this, this might be the easiest schedule this team has had in over a decade. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I mean, they don't play really hardly any elite quarterbacks uh, in, in a game. None. Yeah, a game that's defined by the quarterback position. I've never seen anything like it. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, with the Saints, you know, really the strength of this team is their secondary and their, and their pass defense. Uh, I can see why the Saints felt like, hey, let's play into our strength there. Let's make our defense better. And, uh, you know, for one more year, we can rely on this defense to keep us in games. And now you got Derek Carr. You know, you just look back on some of the games the Saints lost last year, like at Arizona. I mean, unforgivable loss. You lose that game because of turnovers you made and gave them that game kind of. Same thing happened early at Tampa, against Tampa in the Dome. It was a 3-3 three to three game. Yep. James Winston imploded in the fourth quarter. He gave that game away. Well, it started with Ingram's fumble at the 10-yard line. Yeah. So, and if you listen to Dennis Allen, what you know, read between the lines what he says, he keeps talking about finishing games. Those are the games he's talking about. The ones yeah. where they were in it or had the lead, and then they kind of gave it away. And they gave a lot of it away because of the quarterback positions. And, so, and, and then the other game I think of that sticks out to me is that Bengals game where they were kind of winning most of the game. And then exactly. Joe Burrow made some plays late. And the Saints had no ability to finish that off at the quarterback position. Or so find Jamar like Chase. A, yeah, I feel like, you know, they feel like uh, Derek Carr is going to be able to handle that. I feel like what happened last year is when they got those leads, they were so concerned about the quarterback that they didn't try to win the game with the quarterback. They said they tried to tread water, let's not mess up, and the other team beat them. I don't think they feel, I think they'll be more confident now in finishing a game with Derek Carr than they were with Dalton. I couldn't agree more. And you talk about the Arizona game, which was early in the season on a Thursday night. And I just think about, again, I'm not railing on them. I'm, anybody could have made this play, but you're driving down to take a, a, a lead on the road. I think that would have kind of demoralized the Cardinals a little bit. And you drive all the way down the field and Andy Dalton throws an interception in the end zone. And I, I mean, you can't, you, one thing I think that you're going to see from Derek Carr is, I'll be surprised if there is a red zone interception this year. I mean, I know that's tough to say throughout the course of a 17-game season, but those are the kind of mistakes he's not going to make. That's the the difference, I think, between a, a guy like Derek Carr and a guy like Andy Dalton. A lot of people say they're the same quarterback. You're insane if you think that, by the way. But the best quarterbacks the, the Saints will face this year, and we talked about it, Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence, and probably you can throw Bryce Young, and he's a rookie in there. So those are the best quarterbacks the Saints are going to face all year long. Ryan Tannehill is on the list. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's. I think Trevor Lawrence is probably. I would say you know the way he ascended last year a little bit. You have to think he's going to make another step. But for the most part, they avoid the Mahomeses and the Justin Herberts of the league. Josh yeah. Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jalen Jackson. Hurts. 
he basically beat the Saints last year by himself in that game in the Dome. Yep. And he was so good. So, um, yeah, I, I think the schedule is user-friendly. And, uh, you, you look, you don't have to be any any super team to win the NFC South this year. It's gonna. I think it's going to be another one of those years where the team that wins the division might be like nine and nine and eight or something. I don't, I don't see any super teams in there. This is why I think that, you know, if you look at Philadelphia last year, and I'm not taking anything away from them. They made it to the Super Bowl. They got I, they got the luckiest draw throughout the entire season. And then in the playoffs, everything happened right for them as well, including San Francisco being down to their fourth string quarterback at the end. But you, the Saints – could be in a same a similar situation to what the Eagles were in last year because the Eagles had the easiest schedule in the NFL last year, them and the Cowboys, and they both made it well into the, the Giants. Don't think the Giants – I mean, the re, one of the reasons why I was high on the Giants last year and high on the Giants' over win total is because the Giants had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. The NFC East had basically the same kind of schedule that the NFC South has this year. So I don't know if I agree that nine and eight is going to win this division. I actually think that one of these teams is going to have 11 wins, 10 or 11 wins because of the schedules that they have. So I think you might see an 11 or 10 win. And then the second place might be 10 or nine. Um, but again, because of what, so I think that overs in the NFC South who NFC South getting zero respect whatsoever. I think you might be able to book some overs and win some money that way because of who they play and a lot of people when they go to the window and they want to say just give me the under on the Carolina Panthers they're not thinking about who they play they're just thinking okay well the Panthers suck or the Saints they might go nine and eight and win the division they're on automatic under well we all thought they were over last year I guarantee you more people are going to bet the under nine and a half because they think that's ridiculously high than they're going to bet the over going into the season yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. The schedule, you know, the schedule rotation plays into that. Correct. You, you know, you get in, you get matched up with a division that doesn't have a lot of great quarterback play, and it it plays out. I know, I know the Vegas bookmakers. They know that. That's how they set those 100%. lines. And I tell you, the other thing that I mean, everyone's just uh, you know lauding the Eagles right now, and I think they could be a team that could regress. I mean, one hundred percent. They they snuck up on the league a little bit last year. I think that offense. Uh, was a little unique, and I guarantee you everyone in the NFC East certainly has studied that offense this offseason. Not going to be as easy to move the ball with that running game, that, that, that short yardage, uh, you know, uh, rugby move. Like, all that stuff is going to be deciphered, and uh, they'll have counters for that in this offseason. And then, and then, you know, Nick Seriani and his staff are going to have to adjust. We'll see how good they are because – And he lost uh, his O.C., yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. And the DC. So, like, I think, I think they could regress. And, and everyone's just immediately looking at their draft and thinking they're going to be elite. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I fall in line. As a matter of fact, if I were betting on who's going to win the NFC, I would pick either Dallas or San Francisco over Philadelphia. Just because I, I 100% back, agree. Because of the value, you know. I, I well, San Francisco is actually going to is already kind of. I think they're ahead. Yeah, they're they're their favorite. So I actually would look to Dallas because I agree with you. I think Dallas is going to take a step forward. I know you're a little homerish on Mike McCarthy. So uh, you know you you you've always been a fan of Mike like McCarthy. Win, win I'm just saying. I'm not knocking him. Games every year. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not knocking him because he does win. Um, and he he actually ran a good offense when he was here. Uh, he turned Aaron Brooks into an NFL quarterback. That's not right. easy to do. So I'm 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 not bashing him. I'm just saying that. 
you were a little higher on Mike McCarthy than most people. I know. You got to think, think for yourself, people. Don't be a sheep. <laughs> I don't think that being don't said, the internet and think Twitter knows what they're talking about. I mean, you know, that's, that's, what, yeah. that's what happened with Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's, you know, a bigger, you know, older white guy. That's the easiest person to beat up on right now in America. <laughs> Someone like he, Mike McCarthy. He looks like in 15, 10 or 15 years, he's going to look exactly like Andy Reid. I think, uh, except I don't, I don't want to compare Mike McCarthy to Andy Reid. Nothing, nothing against Mike McCarthy because again, I think he's a solid NFL coach, um, but he's he's not Andy Reid. But uh, that's a whole nother story. All right, well, we're going to talk more about that when we get closer to the season and we start making uh, preseason picks. But I'm just giving you a little preview. I think, but I'm not going to include Tampa Bay in the mix because I think they're going to be awful. But I think the other three teams are all going to be better than people expect a lot because of the schedule. We're going to get into the schedule thing uh, again later on as we get closer to the season. So Duncan and I both give the Saints a B, which means we're going to move on and close out this show with one of my favorite little segments of throughout the entire course of the year is when Duncan and I talk about the Kentucky Derby. And for those of you that don't know anything about Jeff Duncan, oh, he's from Louisville, so he's obviously got to be a horse racing aficionado. He grew up like we grew up with Jazz Fest and Mardi Gras. He grew up with the Kentucky Derby. It was just part of his life growing up, his childhood. So what is it about the Kentucky Derby that is so special to you? Well, it's it's a lot like Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest. And it's a community event. And, you know, it's a huge event uh, in Louisville. It's the, it's the marquee week of the year for, for the economy up there. And, um, you know, the thing I like about it is it's more than just a, a – and it, it's really – kind of my philosophy of covering sports. Like I like things that go beyond just the, the game itself, beyond the X's and O's, uh, you know, you go to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's like a fashion show. There's celebrities. It's a melting pot of, of humanity. It's the most unbelievable event. You have the richest people in the world, billionaire horse owners, you know, coming in from Saudi Arabia and Europe. Uh, you know, in America, then you have all these A-list celebrities, movie stars, actresses, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Uh, and then you have the degenerate horse players. You have the <laughs> college kids out in the infield, you know, uh, you know doing shots and, and diving around in mud puddle. I mean, it's just, it, they're all right there in one spot. There's really nothing else I can think of like that. I mean, the Super Bowl isn't like that. You don't have that same mix of people. So it's it's just a unique people watching kind of Mecca. Uh, when you go to that event, I mean, you, by the end of the day, you're worn out because it's a long day, but you're also just worn out because it's sensory overload. You're looking at people's outfits and you know, everybody's dressed to the nines. It, it's just an amazing, amazing spectacle. It's unique. I think uh, there's 150, 160,000 people there. I mean, I, I can't think of any other event I've been to with that many people either. Uh, you know, so it's, it, it's, and everyone that went up, it was fun for me when, the Bensons had had their run there a couple of years, a yeah. few years back. Yeah. Because all my friends in the local media here who've heard me talk about it, they got to experience it. And they'd never seen anything like it before. And when they got up there, it blew them away. So it kind of validated what I've been trying to tell people. Let's transplant ourselves to back to like 1985, 1986. Were you one of those uh, drinking and jumping around in the mud? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we figured out a way to sneak in. You know, it's like everybody – 
and figure out a way to sneak in your alcohol, right? Right. A buddy of mine ingeniously figured out a way to uh, we'd sneak in these little mini kegs and bottles. He got into a wheelchair, and we put a compartment up under the seat. Wow. You couldn't see, and, and we had it boxed off. And, of course, no one was going to check his wheelchair. Not then, perfect. anyway. They would today. Right. But he was perfectly healthy. It was just all a ruse, and we were able to <laughs> sneak in for years doing that tactic. Uh, and you used to be able to get into the infield when you were in college. Back in my college days, it cost you 30 bucks to get in. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that for a college kid, that was perfect, and you could sneak in your alcohol, and then and you could never even see the horses. I mean, it was just to see it. But you didn't care. It's just like being at Jazz Fest. It's yeah. the same thing. You're in the infield, and uh, but you could. There's so many people, you can't really see the horses. You have to oh. watch the big, big screens. You know. It's like being across the street on St. Charles on Mardi Gras Day. You don't necessarily have to be on the neutral ground. You can right. see whatever you want to see or or don't want to see from the other side of St. Charles. You know, you don't have to be there. Yeah, and, and it's just like great. You go out at night. And every restaurant's hopping. Everybody's dressed up. Everybody, you know, there's celebrities. Might you might run into a, you know celebrity sighting, and uh, everyone's talking about the races. And people have racing forms at the dinner table. It's just a, it's just a fun week. It's not just that race on Saturday. I mean, it's there's parades and parties leading up to it. You know, big uh, A-list celebrity type parties. It, it's a social scene more than it is a sporting event. I hate to be cliche, but, you know, I've never had, never, I've never had a mint julep before. You know, I hate when people say New Orleans, Bourbon Street's got to be great, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I, I hate to be cliche here, but are the mint juleps everything they're cracked up to be? Or is that just kind of a, a symbol of the whole thing that Louisvillians, I don't know what you call yourselves, uh, just kind of shudder at? Well, if you come over to my house tomorrow, I'll make you one because I'll have plenty of them. Oh, man. Served up tomorrow. Yeah, that's what I, 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 partake in mint juleps i get the tradition going but yeah of course my, my goal in life jd is to have a i never really had a big score on the derby i mean i've had you know some winning bets and won some money but i've never had one of those like life-changing scores and i think if i ever had one i would try to i would hopefully be at the track because they sell a thousand dollar mint julep and Is i think really? the only people that ever buy that thing are the ones that hits a big score and you're playing with house money and you're like, you know what, I'm going to, and it's like, you know, ice, the ice is made from water that's been imported from like Antarctica and like it's the highest okay. level bourbon and you get a Tiffany silver, you know, mid julep glass or mug, you know, it's all high end stuff, but you'd never spend a thousand bucks unless you just had money to throw away. Um, nothing that I would ever probably have in my life, even if I had a big score. I mean, I'm not a cheapskate by any means whatsoever but i think even if i hit the big score i don't think i'd see me buying myself a thousand dollar mint julep that probably the only way i would do it though is if, I, oh. is if something like that happened but it does give you the one and, and i know we're going to talk race but the thing that's unique about the derby and, and we had our uh, you know a little tease here you know we had our handicappers do our derby column that we do every year and yeah. i'm telling you if you're interested in learning about the derby or you're thinking about betting it Read that column. It's on NOLA.com right now. We have some of the top thoroughbred racing handicappers in the country here. It's we amazing do. how many really elite handicappers. I'm talking about guys that go to these national handicapping contests and win it and win like a million dollars. They're here, and some of them are handicapping the Derby for us every year. So these guys know what they're talking about. But what's unique in the Derby is you have three-year-old horses 
Horses don't start running till they're two. In the fall is when they really start their racing careers. And um, they, they're meeting kind of for the first time. And so there's so many uncertainties in this. Most of the horses, it's almost like an insulate tournament, if you will. Like the men's insulate tournament, you have a Final Four. You know, you have a prep race in L.A., a prep race in Miami, a prep race here in New Orleans, Louisiana Derby, of course, in Arkansas, the Wood Memorial in New York. And these horses, a lot of them have never run against each other because they're coming from different parts of the country, different circuits, and they get in this one field. We don't. It's hard to tell who's the best. You think you know, but you really don't until they run against each other. They're going a mile and a quarter. They've never gone that far yet because they're developing young horses. And then how are they going to react to that environment with 150,000 people? It's a big field. There's never Wait been to the Belmont. Right. Well, there, and there's 20 horses in the field, so – it's completely unique, and that's why you end up, as I, re- I put in the column this week, we've had, since 2005, we've had four 50-to-1 shots or higher win this uh, yeah. race. Including that's an 80-to-1 last year. Yeah, 81-to-1 last year. So it's a unique chance to make a big score. If you, if you were to hit the, the, the trifecta or even the exacta last year, you could win a few thousand dollars for a very minimal investment. So I think that's what attracts people to this race. All right. Speaking of that, again, another graphic I'm going to steal from Zach because I am frankly was, did not have the time or I, you could just say I was too lazy. That's fine uh, to, to show up. These are the top horses. These aren't all of them. There are too many to list on this list. But here, this was as of yesterday. This was your list. Uh, the top eight horses in the race. Um, Forte is the favorite at three to one. I'm thinking that he still is, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, he is. He is. Okay. okay. Uh, and so my guess is by race time, that'll probably be closer to two to one. Um, but that being said, Dunk, is the horse that you like on this list? Yeah, I think, uh, and I wrote in my, my analysis, I think those top four on that list, one of those top four is going to win this race. I don't think anyone outside of that top four. What about Mage? No. Billy I, the Marlin loves Mage. Who does? Billy the Marlin. He was okay. holding up signs. I'm just I'm being completely funny when I obviously I'm taking advice from a, a, a major league baseball mascot. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know. I mean, I, I think uh, Forte, there's a lot of rumors and speculation going around the last 24 hours that he may have to scratch. I, I really? I don't think it's true, but that's a big, uh, that obviously be a big development. Uh, Forte and Tappa Trice are both trained by Todd Pletcher, one of the elite trainers in the sport. Okay. Angel of Empire, of course, ran here and won the Risen Star Stakes and then ended up going up to Oakland to win the Arkansas Derby. He is who I picked on top to win. But the horse that I'm most intrigued by is Derma Sodegate, the Japanese horse yep. uh, that's 10 to 1. Those are juicy odds. I think it might get bet down. That horse might get bet down to maybe 8 to 1, but still that's a good price. The key for that horse being in the number 17 hole is – there's a long run to the first turn at Churchill Downs. That horse is going to have to get position by the time they make that first turn. He's got to use his speed out of the gate. He's got to break well and get positioned by his jockey, I think. To, doesn't necessarily have to get the lead, but has to be up near the lead to avoid traffic. And that's what makes the race so interesting is if something happens out of the gate, you get a bad break, somebody comes over on you. I mean, the, you could be wiped out your chances right away. Uh, but he has got speed. He won the UAE Derby uh, on the lead. And what's what's really interesting, Jim, is the the uh, progression and development of the Japanese horse racing industry. I mean, they've really 
gotten into thoroughbred racing over there. It's amazing. They're younger people. Like, you know, we're, we're all here. Most of the younger demographic is into sports betting, uh, and they certainly are in Japan, but they're really younger 20-somethings into horse racing in Japan. It's very popular over there, something that the U.S. horse racing industry has not been able to kind of capture. It's mostly an older demographic, but they have really invested in thoroughbred racing, and this, this horse has got a chance to be the first Japanese horse to win the Kentucky Derby. They're, they've won some Breeders' Cup races this past year. They're on the come, as they say. You know, they're, the Japanese horses, I think more and more we're going to see them in the Derby with real chances to win. Here's why Derma Sotagake is not going to win the Kentucky Derby, because on the Bayou Bet show yesterday, I know nothing. Well, I can't say nothing. I don't know a whole ton about horse racing. I know some about horse racing. My grandfather was super into it. He used to take me to the track. I grew up at the fairgrounds and then just stopped going when I was old enough to go by myself. Um, but I picked Derma Sotagake yesterday to win the Derby. So nice. that horse has no shot. Because I picked him. I'm, I'm just saying. Well, I, saying. I think you got a big shot. And if you look at our, our handicappers, I mean, a lot of them had him picked either first or second. Uh, you know, Tim Rice picked Derma to win. And I respect Tim Rice a lot. So uh, I don't think it would be – put it this way. He it, in There's a, a third, gra- third graph is a horse racing, uh, you know, analytics type of right. uh, handicapping service. Yeah. And they – they break down all the races. They take into account ground loss. You know, if you race wide, all these factors and they put into their computer formulas. And going into this race, Derma Sotagake's UAE Derby victory was the fastest race, really by far, of anybody else that's come into this race. So, uh, in for the horse racing, like hardcore analytics people, yeah, he would not be a surprise at all if he won. Well, by the way, um, for the first time ever. Uh, at least in Louisiana, I believe. Um, our, our partners at bet.nola.com, Caesars Sportsbook, you can download Caesars Racebook, uh, I believe. Nice. And you can bet the Kentucky Derby on your phone. So you don't even have to go to OTB or go to the fairgrounds or any of that. You actually can bet it on your phone. And I think they're offering a, a deal right now. Um, don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure I saw this, that if you make a deposit that they will uh, – offer you a bet of 100% of whatever your deposit is up to like 250 bucks. So check that out. Uh, Caesars race book, not Caesars sports book, Caesars race book app. If you want to put something down on the Kentucky Derby, I am actually going to, uh, one thing that's weird about horse racing before we go off the air that people don't might not know dunk, uh, for they, you know, your casual better who hasn't bet a horse racing, but has bet other sports. It's not like other sports. It isn't, you, if you get a 10 to one odds uh, on a horse, that doesn't mean it's going to be 10 to one when the final, right. if, if Derma Sotagaki win, if you go bet it to win and it's 10 to one when you bet it, but it finishes five to one, it's five to one. There's no advantage to betting a horse race on, on Friday. Unlike betting an NBA game or, per se, or an NFL game early, there's absolutely no advantage whatsoever because the payout is whatever it is when they're done. Yeah. When the, when the, Horses break out of the gate. You're right. Yeah. So the one thing I would say, the Derby, because there's so much money bet on that race. I mean, I think it's it's an insane amount of money bet on this one race. Ridiculous. It, it's hard to move the line. You know what I mean? It's, there's so much money in the pool. Uh, you know, you or I could put 20 grand to win on Derma, and it's not going to move the needle yeah. at all. 
because you're, that's one of the unique things too that's different from sports betting is it's paramutual wagering. So you're betting against the rest of the public. All that money goes into a pool. The, the track takes, I think, 15% off the top, and then the rest of the money is distributed to the winning to the winners. So you're you know you're betting against other people. And I think that's one of the things that attracts, uh, at least in my opinion, a lot of really uh, sharp like math type people and statistics pe- people with backgrounds in math and probability because you can really look at the odds and figure out what value is compared to maybe what's on the board. And that's what a lot of these computer-assisted wagering, it's really a, a crisis right now, I think, for the horse racing industry because there's these computer, big computer outfits that put together you know, computer-assisted wagering and figure out flaws in some of the lines, and then they go all in and basically just doing a numbers game, right? They're just, over time, they think they'll win if they keep betting these huge huge amounts at, at, at certain laws of probability. And uh, the general Joe Blow better $2 wager like me or you, uh, we're up against it trying to bet against that kind of uh, advantage, I think. So it's just unique. It's different than, than regular, uh, I think, sports betting. There's been a lot of bipartisan talk in politics this week uh, and over the last month, per se, uh, about AI, uh, artificial intelligence, getting involved in all sorts of facets of our lives. And I think it's very compelling if anyone wants to go take a look because I think that AI is already obviously had a part of sports betting, which could be an entire show probably. Um, But I think that as we move along and these computers uh, and bots get smarter, uh, be careful because it could change a lot of things going forward. Um, And, you know, other things could change forward. Hey, at least in the Kentucky Derby, you know, you talk about $20,000 bets not moving the needle. You mean that's unlike someone sitting in the Great American Ballpark uh, betting on uh, LSU baseball while talking to the Alabama baseball coach? That that's a completely different story, right? Yeah, well, because ten thousand dollar bet there does it'll it obviously throws up alarms. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what alerted the uh, you know the regulators. I mean, college baseball doesn't draw that type of bet, so uh, yeah, certainly raise a red flag. But it wouldn't. You could certainly get away with it this week, but there's been a lot of, you know, just getting back to the Derby, there's been a lot of late scratches uh, the last 24 yes. hours. I've never seen anything quite like it. We've had about three or four horses that have scratched for different reasons, and so other horses on the also eligible list have now entered into the field. If you remember last year, that's how Rich Strike got into the field Correct. and surprised everybody won the race because, you know, 24 hours ahead of time he wasn't even in the field. And then he got in and, and won with the number 21 uh, saddlecloth. I mean, that, that doesn't happen very often. Well, I promise we weren't going to go an hour, and we're about to hit the hour mark, so I do want to cut it off, and I, I appreciate your time. But I would like to have a show. I mean, I don't know what's going on at Churchill Downs right now, where, and you see you know, a trainer was suspended uh, yesterday and these horses uh, that are dying. And I don't think I've ever – obviously horses, uh, you know – Tragic things happen to horses when they're running these races and weird things happen. But to have the things that have happened at Churchill Downs the past week is a little strange. Um, and, you know, I would like to get your take on that at some point. I mean, can you give a 15-second take and explain what you think's going on? Well, I mean, that? what happened with the trainer, Savvy Joseph's two horses, is called sudden death. and. Uh, you know, that's different than a breakdown. You know, these animals okay. are thousand pound animals with their, their ankles are about as big as ours, but they're a thousand pounds of weight on them. 
So they have a catastrophic breakdown with their, you know, a, a fractured leg or often have to be euthanized because the, the animal just can't support that weight going forward. That's not what happened here. These horses basically just dropped dead. Like uh, their hearts just exploded or something? Well, it's, it, it's different from a human being. It's not necessarily a heart attack, but it's highly, highly unusual for one of for it to happen to one horse. For it to happen to two horses from the same trainer in the same like 24-hour period, that's where the red flag goes up is there's something going on, and yeah. that's all being investigated right now. And that's why the trainer has been suspended right now because it's so unusual. There's got to be a reason for it. It can't be just sheer bad luck. Well, that's something that I think going forward, and as we have two more major horse races, maybe at some point we'll be able to get into a little bit deeper because I'm interested in it. I mean, uh, you know, you wonder what happens to these horses. It's just a strange coincidence, let's say, uh, for that to happen the week leading up to the Kentucky Derby. It's almost it just smells, reeks of sabotage to some extent. Um, and I think, I hope that's not what it is. I hope it's just a strange coincidence, but uh, I want to, I want, I want to know more. It's a, for well, it to we, happen. We should be clear though. I mean, it happened to horses that, you know, aren't in the derby. Aren't in the well. derby. Yeah. They but, were just, they were just at the track. But, but dunk for the, for this to exactly. But I don't care that it doesn't happen to derby horses. The fact that this is happening all in one week to me, just reeks of someone trying to th- shed some kind of bad light on horse racing. And what other better week to, if you were going to pull a sabotage, what other better week to do it than the week of the Kentucky Derby? It's just, it's weird that this is happening. I mean, if this happened any other week of the year, you'd still hear about it. I mean, at least we would. You would still hear about four horses dying in the same week at the yeah, same well, track. You would hear about that. More than sabotage, that, that doesn't make sense to me. What, what would make more sense is if the trainer were, you know, using some kind of illegal... Uh, you know, performance-enhancing yeah. drug that caused some kind of internal problem. That's what's more likely. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I hope that didn't happen. I really, yeah, that, I, that's probably a more likely answer than something else. I mean, but the fact that it happens to the same trainer with two horses, then you start wondering, okay, what what's going on? Uh, that's certainly one of the things that's happened with Bob Baffert. I mean, the reason he doesn't have any horses in the Derby is because Churchill Downs is – banned him because he's had too many positive tests, uh, you know, for drug that, violations. That's different, though, over the course of time with Bob Baffert. You're, you're talking about something that's happening with one trainer for him to have. You talk about how rare these deaths are, and the reason why I said it the way that I said it is, even if a trainer is doing something illegal, for him, for it to have, for him to have to pay that kind of price in the matter of a week is just completely super odd no matter whether it's um because of something he did or whatever you know what i'm saying well, put it this way the, the, the those horses are being you know there's being autopsies done yeah they'll we'll probably find out what happened so was one of was one of the horses supposed to run in the oaks i know they were both supposed to run in pre-races no no not the okay. oaks no okay. that level horse i mean okay but you know i think it's more than likely that the the, the suspicion would be that there's something going on with the you know, the veterinarian type of. They're going to find out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're definitely going to find out and, and there'll be consequences. There's no doubt. Cause they, the people that run the Kentucky Derby and Churchill Downs officials certainly understand the, you know, the microscope is on them right now. They got to get to the bottom of it. 
Well, obviously we've had people that have been following the show and I, you know, I like to watch the numbers as we go along and they were, they were interested. So I think, I mean, we could probably end up having an entire show on this because again, I'm someone who knows very superficial things about horse racing. I'm, I'm completely, I understand how it's bad. I understand, you know, how the, the I understand the, the, the initial nuances, I guess, of, of horse racing, but I don't understand the intricate details of it at all. And I'm interested in it. So maybe it's a show that we can have one day, uh, maybe before one of the other major races coming up. I'd like to talk yeah. about it. I think it's interesting. And yeah. you know, a lot of two, more two weeks about away it from anyone. Preakness and you know what, like about a month away from the Belmont, the Belmont's my favorite because it's so, it's so long. Um, and, yeah. and I know everybody talks about the Kentucky Derby and it's, it's cliche. I, I, I watch it every year. I love it. Uh, but to me, I think the Belmont's always the interesting because it has the fewest horses and it's the longest race and and just race lengths that you talk about uh, that these horses haven't run before. I mean, they haven't run the mile and a half at Belmont. No, know? they never will again, most of them. So it's unique. That's why I find it interesting. So yeah, uh, There's a lot of pageantry up in New York at Belmont. It's a, it's a neat day of racing, no doubt. One of these days, uh, you know, I used to be jealous of Bob Fortas used to go every year and, and go cover the, the Belmont when we actually did those sorts of things. But anyway, Jeff Duncan, thank you so much for spending all this time on a Friday. I told you we wouldn't be on longer than 40 minutes while I lied, but we started talking about things that were interesting. And as we usually do, we, we ran over our time, but it was enjoyable and informative all at the same time. Yeah. Look, tell everybody out there, uh, if you get a chance, read this Jeff Ireland uh, Q and a, I think you're going to get a lot, certainly more than what we've talked about today. You're going to get it straight from, I hate to say this, the horse's the mouth. Horse's mouth. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, you can today. Anyway, today we'll only. do that this weekend. Well, I told you it was going to be informative, and it was. So there you go. Jeff Duncan's thoughts on the Saints and the Kentucky Derby. See, we didn't even bring up the NBA playoffs with Dunk. I guess uh, next week, as we start moving towards the summer, and I'm going to probably take a couple – Friday's off in the future, in the very near future. Um, in fact, I think next week is the last show we're going to have for a couple weeks. I'm not 100% sure on that. i got to get through. I know my vacation is coming up, um, I think early June i got some time off. But I think next week might be the uh, the, the last show we have for, for a little bit. We'll see how that goes. Anyway. Uh, I thought today was a great show. You know, I had a friend of mine um, ask me, um, he actually texted me while I was doing the live portion of the show, and I told him I was on a show, I'll talk to you later, and then afterwards I was texting him back, how did the show go? I actually thought this was one of our better shows since the end of the Saints season. You know, during the Saints season, the shows write themselves. You don't have to think about what you're going to talk about. They're easy. Um, it's not so much in the off season, and even today, you're talking about the Saints draft, something that happened a week ago. So I know people aren't always still interested to hear our takes on something that happened a week ago. Um, and I almost had this show earlier in the week, but I thought it was important to, to let it kind of sink in and soak in. And I didn't want to go cold. I mean, look, I, I know I was kind of, I was harsh on Brian Bessay, but I was really harsh on Isaiah Foskey on the live draft show last week on Bayou bets. And so I wanted to go, I wanted to wait a little bit and think about my reactions. And honestly, They've changed not a ton, um, but again, I say this all the time. You have to defer to the team that knows what it needs, right? 
This team knows that it needs defensive end. And my problem wasn't so much with the pick as it was personally as someone who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about and could never be an NFL general manager or be in that war room and help make picks. But I just thought that the Saints needed offense more than they needed defense, and I knew I was in the minority. But beyond that, if you put the positions in order of what I thought need was, I thought defensive end was like fifth. I think that going into next season, you could potentially lose Cam Jordan, and you're going to need more help, and I get that. So I thought that maybe 2024 draft defensive end would be close to the top, but I don't know. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. They probably are. I just thought you could get something, a defensive end later. Um, I love the Kendra Miller pick. I love the Hainer pick. Um, you know, I love the wide receiver in the sixth round. I love the safety in the in the fifth round. You know, so everything else did. And I've told you, I thought Saldaveri was the was the one A plus pick of this entire draft. So. We'll see who's right. Again, draft, you can't really give draft grades until like three years later, in my opinion. And even then, they're still incomplete. It's just what it is. I mean, Peyton Turner is, right now, is an incomplete. He hasn't played enough for me to see what he is. Now, if he never plays, if he keeps getting hurt and eventually goes bye-bye, then he's an F. But I don't think he could ever turn himself into an A, but I think he could turn himself into a B or so. Who knows? Anyway, all right, enough Saints talk for now. We're, we're probably still going to talk about the Saints again next week. Again, I think I really, I'm pretty sure that next week's our last show for a little bit. We're probably going to take a mini break um, as I, the kids get off of school. Um, I take a breath, and we start gearing towards the 2023 season, which will be coming up before we could possibly know it. I mean, this... This happens so fast. It happens like this every year. Um, I take this little break, and the next thing I know, I'm diving in head first, and my head doesn't come out until January. I mean, that's just the way that it is. So I'm uh, probably going to take a little bit of a respite after next week. We'll see how it goes. Um, I don't know who my guest is next week. i got a couple options that I need to look into. Um, so stay tuned. We'll see how that goes. But how are you going to watch the Kentucky Derby? As we go out, we take the outro song. This one's easy. I think I did the same one last year, but it's easy. I mean, it's kind of kind of what you have to do, right? I mean, the Run for the Roses is, to me, one of the great sports songs. There aren't a ton of sports songs out there. And I know if you're younger than I am, you might not even know this song. If you're more than 10 years younger than, uh, than I am, then you almost certainly don't know this song and you're probably saying who the hell is Dan Fogelberg but Dan Fogelberg was a phenomenal the late Dan Fogelberg by the way he passed away I don't know I think it's been eight or ten years now maybe longer than that since he's passed away dotted at a young age uh he was in his mid-50s when he passed not that's about where I'm at um but he was a, a a fantastic singer had some wonderful songs back in the late 70s and early 80s if you like that sort of thing. I know a lot of you don't like music with that slow of a beat, but uh, going out with this is pretty simple. This song was actually written for the Derby, I think back in 1981 or two, somewhere along there. Um, and it's kind of lived on. And uh, good chance that this is probably going to be uh, 
my out song for every Kentucky Derby because I love it. And it fits perfectly. Enjoy the race. Um, have a mint julep or, or not. I mean, have something that you enjoy. I mean, you're probably going to drink margarita today. So if you want to have a mint julep, you know, go back to back margarita, mint julep. Sounds like fun to me. But it's time to go out. I mean, I've talked enough. But as we go out, I will tell you one more thing about this song. One of the greatest lines in any song I've ever heard. I have a few that stick out. But one of my one of the greatest lines in the song is it's the chance of a lifetime and the lifetime of chance. I mean, you can't say it much better than that, right? And I think I'm going to say nothing else. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy it with the ones you love. We will talk to you next Friday. Peace and love, my friends. It's born in the blood, the fire of a mare and the strength of a star. It's bleeding and it's training and it's something unknown that drives Yeah.